Good evening, everyone. Uh, so the scripture reading for the lesson this evening is from 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 8. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Uh, anyone that's ever been to a wedding has probably heard this multiple times. Um, and with Valentine's Day, uh, the holiday coming up on Tuesday, uh, I thought a lesson on the topic of love may be appropriate. Uh, we hear a lot about love, but do we really understand it? And what does the Bible tell us about it? Uh, I think most would agree that there are different forms of love. That spark you feel when you're young and you meet the young girl or young boy that just seems to make your heart skip a beat. Uh, the first time you realize that you've met that person that you're going to marry. And for those that are parents in the room, the first time that you see your child and have the opportunity to look into their eyes. Uh, each of these moments brings a swelling of joy in that intimate connection within each of us. In the passage uh, for the scripture reading this evening, though, Paul argues that love is more than an emotion, that it's an action. The kind of love that Paul talks about is seen, experienced, and demonstrated. As the Apostle John wrote in, one of, in his first letter, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. But what is love, and what does the Bible teach us about it? Um, I like the way Mike laid out his lesson a couple of weeks ago about the Christian example. Uh, and I hope he doesn't mind too much that I'm going to borrow liberally from it because I thought it was a good structure uh, and a good way to frame um, the conversation. Uh, and I will say in the week after Mike's lesson and kind of framing, are you that Christian example? What is that example? And if uh, people look to you, would they think of that example? Uh, it made me come back and think about these things. So thank you, Mike. I'm going to borrow from it this evening. Uh, so first, what does the Bible say about love? Two, who should be our example for exhibiting this sort of love? Three, who are we to love? And four, would others say that you demonstrate true love on a regular basis? So first, what does the Bible say about love? So the above passage from 1 Corinthians 13 highlights nicely different aspects of love. It breaks it down into the following aspects. Patience, kindness, not envious, not boastful, not proud, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no records of wrongs, i.e. doesn't hold a grudge, rejoices in truth, protectful, trustful, hopeful, never fails. Each of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would say that we do much better in some of these areas than others. Uh, I know I still have a long way to go when it comes with patience, uh, despite the best efforts of my children to uh, indoctrinate that into my being. Uh, Jesus himself was asked at one point what the greatest commandment was, and his response is telling. In Luke 10, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So who is our example for exhibiting this sort of love that's being discussed? If you go back through the verses in 1 Corinthians 13, and everywhere you're to find the word love, substitute the word Christ, all these statements would still be true. The kind of love being described is love that has its source in God, and as we look at each of the phrases, 
it becomes obvious that an example is being defined that is beyond our reach. It is impossible without Christ and his influence in our daily lives. I'd like to touch on a couple of the many examples throughout the Gospels where Jesus exhibited some of these characteristics. Mark 14 describes the denial of Jesus by Peter. Jesus had previously told Peter that this would happen, but Peter, understandably at the time, was horrified by the idea and protested that he would never do so. Jesus knew better, though, and sure enough, it happened just as he said it would. In John 20, Thomas said that unless he could place his fingers in Christ's wounds, he wouldn't believe what he was being told about the resurrection. We have an example of Peter denying Jesus three times and Thomas doubting the resurrection of Christ. These are not minor disagreements, but fundamental doubts about the true nature of Jesus by some of his closest disciples. Jesus could have turned his back on them for their unbelief, but instead, and instead found others who would have followed him without question. Instead, he looked past, looked past these very human faults. He was patient, he was kind, he had kept no record of wrongs. How many other examples can we think of in the Gospels when the disciples, those closest to Jesus, simply let him down? How often can we think of times in our own lives when we have let Christ down? Just like the disciples, we know that Jesus is always still there to offer that forgiveness to us. And how does he demonstrate that ultimate love for us? From Mark 15, Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led, led him out to crucify him. Why did Jesus allow this to happen? Why would God allow this to happen? From John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loves each of us that he sent Jesus to suffer and die for our sins, to sacrifice himself for all of us, despite the fact that we are all sinners and undeserving of this ultimate sacrificial love on his part. Who are we to love? This is a very expansive question uh, and, the, and an answer, uh, but we'll start simple and build out from there. Uh, the first example will be husbands and wives. Uh, from Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's, husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let, li let, li let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot, uh, spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. The husband's responsibility is enormous in this passage because he is to picture Christ himself in how he is to love his wife. Uh, this passage echoes Genesis 2:24. therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Husbands and wives are to love each other unconditionally and exhibit the patience, kindness, and other aspects of true love as outlined by Paul. They are to sacrifice themselves as Christ did and in this example, 
it's calling to the man to, in fact, put that sacrifice of himself and for his wife's needs before his own. I can think of no greater call than to put your wife in that position where you yourself, through your love, are willing to do anything necessary. <clears throat> Neighbors and strangers. Um, so this is a longer passage, but I think it's helpful. Uh, and I will say it's also one that I think about on a regular uh, basis, day to day. Uh, and during Bible study this morning, Wayne was actually asking about for us to think of our favorite uh, Bible verses and things that we constantly kind of come back to. And this is one that I always uh, think about throughout my day. When the Son of Man, uh, sorry, this is from uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it for one of the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is an area that many of us consistently fall down on. When we, pay, when we pass a stranger in need, do we keep walking? We're busy. We have other things to do. But is it our friends that need us to show them kindness the most, or strangers that need our love and affection? From Luke 6.34 touches on this point. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. We are to lo love those less fortunate than us. Think of the way Jesus interacted with the poor and the less fortunate. He didn't spend his time focusing on teaching and engaging the rich and the powerful, but rather focused his ministry on building up the less fortunate. Friends, Jesus in John 13, 15 adds another aspect to love. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Wow. I was reminded of a story when I was younger as I was uh, reading this passage. <clears throat> My family and I were at a friend's house and uh, they had one of those books where you're presented different scenarios and you had to pick what you would do in a given situation. Uh, and the one that was brought up was uh, kind of a prisoner's dilemma where you and someone you love are placed in different rooms and there's a button in each room. And if after an hour, neither one of you presses that button, you both die. But if one of you presses the button, the other one gets to live. And as we're 
talking through this at a friend's house years ago, I remember my uh, little sister said, oh, well, I'd want to be in there with dad because he'd be running for that button. And my dad was just tickled pink because he knew that she was exactly right, that he would be running for that button. So it begs the question, would you lay down your life for someone? I think the example of the child is pretty straightforward for any of us that have children, that there's not a doubt in our mind that we would do that. But what about a friend? What about a stranger? Do you think that you would exhibit that kind of sacrificial love if called to it? <clears throat> and would others say that you demonstrate true love on a daily basis? As someone looks at a believing Christian man, for example, he or she ought to be able to say, he is presenting to me a picture of how Christ loves the church. As I watch him live with his wife, I am learning how Christ sacrificed himself for the church. As I see him with his children, I am learning about the Lord's tender care towards me. As I see him with his fellow Christians, I am seeing him living, loving his neighbor as himself. As I see him engage with strangers, I see Christ's love towards the poor. Are you presenting the right picture? Am I? With Valentine's Day, it's easy to be caught up in the romantic form of love and not think about the all-encompassing aspects of what true love is meant to exhibit. That kindness, that patience, that hope, that trust. As you go out into this week, I'd like each of you to consider whether or not you're demonstrating that type of love, not only for those individuals that are close to you, but for those in the congregation and those in the larger community that may need our help more than the person sitting next to us every day. If there's any way that we can help you, won't you let us know while together we stand and we sing.